Well, here in Luke 16, we've got the parable of the unjust steward. And this is, I think, without question, the most difficult of the Lord's parables to interpret. And when I was thinking about what to talk about in terms of Luke 16, I, I had a look at this and I rolled my eyes and I thought, eh, let's try and find something else to talk about because I don't really understand this parable. And I don't think that anyone has really got the, uh, the bottom line interpretation. But anyway, I, uh, I thought we'd have a go at trying to work it out. Now, in Luke 15, we've got parables of forgiveness, and clearly this material is arranged in, uh, in the order that it is to lead straight on from that, that this is a parable to us about forgiveness. And summing it up, I mean, the man is accused of being in debt to his master, which is uh, really because of uh, his own fault, um, and he's ashamed, he says, to dig, verse 3, and to beg, he's ashamed. And so he runs around and says to everyone who owes his master something, look here, quickly, quickly, that is before my master catches up with what I'm doing, yeah, scribble it, just, uh, just say, you know, you, you, you're not in debt, let's just uh, sign a document, I've got the power still as the, as the uh, steward to uh, let you off the debt, to say that the debt's been paid when it hasn't. And then at the end of it, Jesus says, well, the uh, children of this world are a bit smarter than God's children. And I take that to mean that what he's saying is that this man did this um, when he shouldn't have done so. There was no integrity for him to do so. He acted lacking in integrity. And yet, by doing this, he had a chance of being ultimately uh, looked after by the people that he'd forgiven, even though it wasn't quite in his power to do that. And so Jesus is saying, well, that's how worldly people carry on. But unfortunately, the children of light aren't even that smart. They can't seem to forgive others, even though they have got judgment coming. Now, it's a, a strange story in a sense, but I think it may be stranger to our ears than it was to the ears that first heard it who maybe were more accustomed to this, this kind of story. Now, <clears throat> he had wasted his goods, and he was therefore in debt to his, his master, hopelessly in debt, and he realizes judgment day is coming. Uh, he's got to answer. He's been called, verse 2, to give an account of his stewardship. But before he does that, he madly runs around getting everyone who's in debt to his master and says hey you know just forget it that's all scribbled I'll uh, just scribble that off give me a piece of paper I'll write that off quickly quickly and that's the emphasis on the uh, the speed where he keeps saying verse 6 for example sit down quickly 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 um, because he knows that he's on the way to give account to his master and he's going to be fired if not worse. The point is that Judgment Day is coming. We have been called to give account. And yet as cotton wool clouds drift across the sky, we can tend to think that there is no urgency in our position. The point is we are called to account. We are, as Jesus elsewhere implies in his teaching, we are on our way to judgment. In fact, we've had that uh, 
earlier in, in Luke, in, in Luke 14, where he seems to be saying that we are on our way to a conflict with a far more powerful king. It's urgent that you just give up and say, you know, I, I cannot uh, deal with this. We are on our way to judgment, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, and we therefore need to urgently make peace with our brother who is going with us to take us to court. The implication is, you're going to lose the case. Make peace now. And so there is an urgency here to forgive others. Now, within the uh, furniture of the parable, we may be phased a bit by the unjustness of the way that the steward uh, forgives people when he doesn't have the right to. But that's, I think, the, the point of the contrast. That is what the unjust steward does. How much more should you as the children of light be running around forgiving people urgently because your judgment is about to come? So these goods that we have wasted, well, I do think that the parables of Jesus are meant to connect with each other. When we looked at Luke 14 about parables of suppers and parables of weddings, I try to put all those particular parables in the Lord's teaching together. And there clearly is meant to be a connection between the parables. So we are accused in that sense of wasting goods. Well, that goes back to Matthew 25, uh, verse 14, or goes forward, I, I should say, chron chronologically, that Jesus is like the man who travels into a far country into heaven who calls his servants and delivers unto them his goods. And then when he comes back, he's going to ask how they got on with their trading. And two of them in the parable, in that parable, traded well, and another hid the talent in the earth. And yet here, putting the parable together with, with this one, uh, we seem to get the idea that there's a, a fourth person who, okay, took the goods and didn't hide them in the earth to give them back. He wasted them. And the implication is that is every one of us. And we certainly have wasted the goods that have been given to us, the riches of the Lord Jesus. We've wasted time. We've wasted worry. We've wasted resources. We've wasted money. We've wasted opportunities. We have wasted his goods. And let's not forget that in that parable in Matthew 25, the master, that's Jesus, gives all his goods to his servants. He's taking a huge risk. He's delegated out everything. He's given away all that he's got. We have been given a lot. And let us not think that I've not been given anything. You have. You've been given time, for one thing, uh, with which to serve the Lord. We have wasted his goods. And we must give account. And there's no amount of quick trading which is going to get us out of the situation. The other thing about this guy is that he says, well, I'm ashamed to beg and I can't dig. He was proud. He couldn't quite bring himself to face the full judgment. And you could argue that the language of being ashamed is, of course, talking about the rejected shame and everlasting contempt. Because I don't want to be shamed, I don't want to be rejected at this coming day of judgment, I'm therefore going to run around and forgive other people. Notice, incidentally, that digging and begging are put as the most shameful, low things. And it's interesting that Jesus, in another parable, says that, uh, also in Luke, says that 
he was willing to dig around the, the fig tree in order that it might bring forth fruit. You remember the, uh, the master, that's God, says, cut it down. Why does it cumber the ground? And he says, no, no, let it another year, and I'll dig round it and see if it uh, brings forth fruit, and I'll put dung all round it. To dig and to carry dung, these were the lowest possible things that a person could do. And even this unjust steward says that he's ashamed to do that. And yet that is a picture of the shame and humiliation of Jesus on the cross, so that we might bring forth fruit. I mentioned that really in, uh, in passing. So anyway, he says, I am resolved what to do. And that is, I think, the exhortation to us. We are facing judgment. So resolve right now that I, in my heart at least, will forgive others because there is this definite judgment that is coming now I said that this is leading on from the parables of forgiveness in Luke 15 and the idea of wasting the Lord's goods in verse 2 um, sorry verse 1 he would wasted his goods this is very much the language of chapter 15 verse 13 where the younger son wasted the substance of his father with riotous living. There's definitely a connection. And in the same way as we showed when we looked at Luke 15, that we are all the prodigal. We are therefore all the unjust steward. We've wasted the Lord's goods in the same way as the younger son wasted his father's substance. Now, there are, in many of the parables, I would say, uh, the, the, the uh, feature of an unfinished ending and that's perhaps what makes this particular parable hard to interpret it's left a bit open so that we can imagine how it finishes now what's ultimately going to happen is his master going to say no you shouldn't have done that uh, you had no right to forgive all those people all that, all that money and oil and stuff that they owed, owed me no, I'm going to put you in prison, or no, you shall beg. Or is he going to just let him off? Because the usual response of a master would be to jail servants for running up debts, and we know that from Matthew 8, 23 to 25. That would be the usual response. Why doesn't this unjust steward realise that? Why does he do something so stupid? I think we are meant to see that as an element of unreality and I've said before that all the parables tend to have an element of unreality in them and that element of unreality is what signposts the real meaning the element of unreality here is that the guy decides to run around and forgive people their debts which they owe to his master well isn't the master going to catch up with him uh, and say no, you know, you, you not only wasted my goods yourself, but you caused me a whole load of other further, uh, further loss because of what you did. Go to jail. That would have been the usual response, but he seems to guess that the master is not going to do that, and that the master just might be some sort of impressed by what he's done. And then verse 8 really says that. His Lord commended him because he had done wisely. That, that, that's the element of unreality. How and why would his master commend him for doing that? 
And straight away, people would say, that's the element of unreality. That's the bit that doesn't make sense. However, would his master say, oh, is that what you did? Oh, well done, son. That was a, that was a smart move. Good bit of footwork there. No. This is the element of unreality. That this Lord is deeply impressed for some reason to a, a, an absolutely senseless extent by the idea that the guy thought that he could get out of his own debts by forgiving other people their debts. And that is the point of the story. That we are to forgive other people and on that basis, although it doesn't really make any sense, we will be forgiven for our wasting of the Lord's goods because we have a master who is for some reason particularly sensitive to this and that's why when you read that verse 8 the Lord commended the unjust steward there is a purposeful ambiguity is this talking about the Lord of the servant in the story or is this kind of Luke's addition saying yeah and uh, having told this story the Lord Jesus uh, said to the, uh, the listeners, well, I commend the unjust steward, he did wisely. The ambiguity is purposeful, because, of course, the, the lord of the servant in the parable is meant to be understood as, as Jesus. So then, this is the whole point, that this unusual lord that we have is so impressed by how uh, the steward acted that he... Uh, he, the implication is, does not put him in jail. He commends him. Uh, because of what he's done. So, this, this uh, unjust steward comes over as a bit arrogant, because he's ashamed to beg, um, and he uh, is unethical, he's wasted his Lord's goods, and he forgives people their debts to his lord when he doesn't have any right to do so so he's uh, arrogant and he's dishonest and yet despite those weaknesses he ends up being commended because he had forgiven it's a, as if again the point of the parable is by hyperbole here to highlight the crucial importance of forgiving others and that, of course, is the lesson that you get from the end of Luke 15, uh, which this is leading on from, about the, the two sons, that really the parable of the prodigal is not so much about the prodigal, but the whole the end stress of the parable. And again, these parables very often have uh, a climax at the end, uh, which is the point, of the, uh, the point of the story. The point of the, of the prodigal son parable is really about the older brother who ends up outside the father's fellowship, of his own choice because he will not forgive his younger brother and so we are asked to identify ourselves with the unjust steward and it's interesting that in most stories and parables like, like this we are meant to identify ourselves with a good guy but here we're asked to identify ourselves with someone who was not so good someone who was not a very nice person but who forgave and it's rather like again with the parable of the prodigal there's two sons the prodigal and the older brother who walks out of the father's fellowship because the younger one has come back and we are asked to identify ourselves 
with the prodigal, who also was a bad guy. Remember how we, we showed when we looked at Luke 15, how when he says, give me the inheritance, he's saying to his father, I wish that you were dead. I just uh, wish you were dead, and I want to be out of here, nothing more to do with you. Give me right now. And then he turns it all into cash, but he quickly sells everything off at low prices. He brings shame to his father. He does not come over as a very nice boy or young man at all. And yet we're asked to identify with him. Another parable of two sons. The father says, go and do this. And one says, I'll do it, sir. But he doesn't do it. And the other one says, no, I will not. Extremely rude to his father. But then he goes away and repents and does it. Now, that's the one we have to identify with. And so this idea of getting us to identify with the bad guy in the story is uh, was something which I think would have been most unusual for them in the first century, as it really is now. And so we are being asked to realize the depth of our sinfulness. And as I say, he laments at the end in verse 8 that the children of this world are wiser than the children of the kingdom. Uh, and I take that, as I said, as meaning that the Lord is sorry that his people don't see the same obvious need to focus on forgiving each other in view of judgment that is coming upon them. They don't see the urgency of the need to prepare for their own judgment by forgiving others. This issue of forgiveness, of forgiveness of others, is crucial, therefore, to our salvation. In one sense, we are saved by the blood of Christ and by his sacrifice and God's grace. And yet, somehow you have to balance that against the simple statements that Jesus makes, like when he teaches the Lord's Prayer, uh, and sort of realizes that his comment in the Lord's Prayer about forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us, he realizes that's going to be a real stumbling block. And so he says, when he's finished giving the Lord's Prayer, he says, because if you don't forgive people their sins, your Father won't forgive you. As if he realizes that that was a very important point that they were likely to misunderstand or ignore. This issue of forgiving others, therefore, is absolutely crucial to our eternity. It's, according to this parable of the unjust steward, the emphasis that God gives to forgiveness is so huge that it is absolutely crucial. Uh, and the, the difficulty of this story, I, I think, is perhaps exactly in that, in that we can't really get ourselves to realize that the whole point of it is that forgiveness is so important. It's more important in that sense than the fact he's been dishonest in the past, he's uh, proud, and he, he's too ashamed to beg and, and all that. So where do we get the motivation from to forgive? The motivation is ultimately in our own realization of our own having wasted the master's goods and the urgency of doing something before judgment comes. Now that is, I would say, where Christian forgiveness has a unique quality to it. I don't deny that other people can, quote, forgive other people their sins, but I've spoken to non-Christians who have achieved forgiveness uh, of others who have deeply wronged them and I have asked them how did you manage it and they have all said plus or minus to me the same thing 
Well, if I didn't forgive, then I would be the most bitter, twisted, mixed up, angry person on earth. I'd probably have killed myself. And that is true. But that is, if you see what I'm saying, a rather selfish motive for forgiveness. I'm forgiving you because I want to preserve myself, my own uh, emotional and, and psychological sanity and health. That's why I forgive you. Whereas this forgiveness that we are to give is totally different. I also can't help but wonder whether those non-Christian people who appear to have achieved forgiveness of others, I mean, what do we mean by forgiveness? You know, it's very difficult um, to, to really define it. And it's very difficult, really, to define whether another person has really forgiven another. People may act as if they have, and to some degree maybe they have. But who knows how they really feel in their heart. They may not be completely honest when they say, yes, I've forgiven them. But what do they mean by it? What's the meaning in that word for them? Um, does it not in some cases really mean I have achieved the psychological uh, movement within myself of somehow forgetting the pain of what they did. That is not quite the same. That is a, uh, an achievement of psychotherapy. That is uh, an achievement, maybe you, you're your own psychotherapist. Uh, you, know, you, you can achieve that, maybe, to cut out pain from a certain part of your experience and your past. Maybe. But it seems to me that Christian forgiveness is of a different nature. It has to be, because the motive is different. That we have sinned seriously. And we desperately want to be in God's kingdom. And we feel his forgiveness right now. And therefore, not only like this guy who's running around because he knows judgment day is coming, but we in this life also receive that forgiveness right now and the response to that is to forgive others and one could even argue that if we do not forgive others then we have not sensed our own forgiveness and so when we lament that I find forgiveness difficult and, and I would think that we all say that I find forgiveness difficult why is that? well biblically why is that it's because we really have not felt the depth of God's forgiveness. And that may be because of our own lack of faith, or it may also be because of our own lack of appreciation of the depth of our own sinfulness. Now we're here to focus our thoughts upon the death of Jesus, and he died for our forgiveness. And the simple question is, do you believe it? Incidentally, when Jesus says to the disciples about the need to uh, forgive your brother if he keeps on sinning against you, what do they say? They say, Lord, increase our faith. And I have often wondered, what is the connection between faith and forgiveness of others? Well, it could be in this, that if we really believe what we're looking at here, the symbols of the Lord's death and resurrection for me, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If we really believe that, if we have the faith in what he did 2,000 years ago on a hill just outside Jerusalem on a day in April 
on a Friday afternoon. And if we really believe the consequence of that, if you like, historical act for me today, that I am truly forgiven, then we will find the strength to forgive others, not as this world forgives, not as this world cunningly writes off debts and things like that, not as this world forgives in order to protect themselves psychologically and emotionally, but the total forgiveness of others which reflects that total forgiveness which we really know that we have received and if we can achieve that we will live with all joy and peace through believing.